Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this episode, Pastor Billy teaches on how to engage with God's heart through prayer and intercession. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. So um, if you have your device, turn over to Zechariah chapter 12, and I want to talk about uh, this cry out for Israel. Um, if you're unfamiliar with a prophetic word, that was a word of edification, exhortation, and comfort. If you see me grab my sock, which I just did, it's because I've got a flat tire sock that keeps creeping under my foot. We'll try to stay off of that. But if, you're, um, if you've never been around people giving prophetic words or if you've never been around when people pray for healing and people get healed, number one, we believe that God still moves in power today. And so he will touch people and heal people because that's why Jesus actually took stripes on his back was for people's healing. That's what the scripture tells us. And Jesus didn't, listen, he didn't have to take stripes on his back to pay for our sin. He did that on the cross. We could have been fully redeemed and had all the blessings of eternal life and the forgiveness of sin and sanctification and the gospel. We could have had all of it without Jesus doing the cat of nine tails. But he did the cat of nine tails, specifically the Bible tells us, by his stripes you were healed. And that's talking about in a physical way. It also says that the chastisement for our peace, this is Isaiah 53 that I'm quoting, was upon him. In other words, all the stuff that comes against your peace, that's the anxiety, depression, oppression stuff, he took that on himself so that we could experience liberty, freedom, and deliverance, okay? And so we pray for healing because the Bible says they that believe This is uh, Mark 16. They that believe, they shall lay hands on the sick, and the sick shall recover. And so when you see, uh, like what we were doing in worship, if if it's new to you, when you see us, um, you know, doing that, we're not trying to be spooky or weird or trying to be mystical. What we're trying to do is be biblical. We're not doing that because we're charismatic. We're doing that because we're Bible-believing Christians trying to follow that. And so even tonight when we prayed, I think probably three or four people, if you got a healing during worship, just raise your hand if you noticed it in your body. One, two, three, four. Yeah. So that's what the Lord, and it's right to give the Lord praise for that. That's awesome. And that's what the Lord does when we pray. He does those things. And then just even the prophetic word, there was just a word of edification, exhortation, and comfort felt like the Lord pointed out Sarah Beth to me and told me just a, one little part of her giftedness. And I just wanted to emphasize that. I felt like the Lord was urging me to emphasize that and have us pray for her. So that's, that's how it works. It doesn't have to be mystical or weird or spooky. It's biblical, and we want to continue to flow in the gifts of the Spirit. And all believers can. All believers can. That means you can. And, and I would really encourage you when you're going to Kroger, when you're on your campus, when you're at your job, whatever, Ask the Lord to give you words of knowledge for people, and it will, it will surprise you sometimes because he'll point people out. He'll highlight people. You'll say a, a word of encouragement to them or just say, you know, I just felt like the Lord wanted to share this with you. It will shock them, and it will encourage you because you're actually stepping in and being used by the Lord. Super good, yeah? Okay, that's not the message. You're in Zechariah 12. 
that's just a, I just wanted to give that as an explanation because some may not be familiar with that. Okay, Zechariah 12 is a really, really important passage. In fact, the whole book of Zechariah is, I should pray. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We ask you for the spirit of revelation. I ask you for a divine attentiveness in the room. Help me to speak with clarity. Help me to speak with unction. I pray you'd, you'd put the words in my mouth and you'd just speak right through me. Let me speak as your oracle. And Lord, I ask you to hold my hand tonight. I give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So Zechariah, the whole book of Zechariah is super, super important. Scholars call Zechariah the Old Testament book of Revelation. So it's, it's that important. It's that style of a book. It's a prophetic book. What's interesting is in the beginning of the book, Zechariah is probably about 19 or 20 years old. And when you get down into the language of it, you, can, you find out he, goes, he says things that are really kind of interesting. He goes, I was looking and I was looking, like it's in the Bible this way. I was looking and I saw what looked like, it could have been like, uh, and he'll give the prophetic word. It's like totally a 20-year-old. It's just completely. But he ends up having some of the most dynamic prophetic experiences that unpack things that are going to happen at the end of the age. And it's so, so clear. It's, it's shocking when you get into the detail of what Zechariah saw and what he wrote down. And so in Zechariah 12, you're in the beginning of three chapters that all go together, Zechariah 12, 13, and 14. And um, what we're getting is we're getting a real um, intense uh, look at, at specific details that are going to happen um, in Israel in the generation the Lord returns and right after the Lord returns. And so he gives us, I mean, amazing, amazing details. And so as we're in a 21-day fast, we're in a 21-day fast crying out for Israel, for the salvation of Israel, for the peace of Jerusalem, we're crying out for Israel. I felt like the Lord wanted to emphasize how it is that we can stand in with the heart of the Lord, connected with the heart of the Lord, stand in an intercession with His anointing on us so we're not just trying to fast and pray in our own strength. Fasting and praying in your own strength is a bummer. There's some fasts that I've done that have been nothing much more than a hunger strike. I won't eat until you move. It's, he's like, bro, that's not how this works. We, we fast and we pray not to earn anything from God, but to put ourselves in a place of voluntary weakness. And the scripture says it really clear that in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. And he moves in powerful ways when we put ourselves in a weak place. That's why humility and meekness and confession of sin and, and, and just being just kind and gentle is so valued in the Scripture. All right, so in Zechariah 12, there's this fascinating passage. Let's just read it, and I want to break down the story for you. So verse 10, Zechariah 12, it says, I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves 
for a firstborn. In that day, there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning at Hadad Ramon in the plain of Megiddo. Now, what this is saying is that there's coming a day for Israel, house of David and Jerusalem. That's talking about Israel, where God is going to pour his spirit on them. And when he pours his spirit on them, they are going, that spirit that he's pouring on them is called the spirit of grace and supplication. Supplication is another uh, way to say plea for mercy, cry for mercy. So he's going to pour the spirit, it's the Holy Spirit that's doing this, not some unusual spirit, it's the Holy Spirit, but he's going to manifest in grace. Divine power, divine enablement, that's grace, and supplication, the cry for mercy. And it says when he pours this on them, they're going to mourn. That, when, that, when that manifestation of the Holy Spirit hits them, it's going to cause them to mourn. And the reason why is they will look on me whom they pierce. So this is talking about when Jesus returns and he shows up to Israel and the Jews who are alive on the planet at that time, they will come to a recognition, he's the one we crucified. And the Lord in that moment will meet them with a power encounter called the spirit of grace and supplication. And when they get the revelation that Jesus himself is the Messiah, the long-awaited Jewish Messiah, when they get that revelation and the Holy Spirit is poured on them, they will go into mourning and grieving just like if somebody was going, if somebody had lost their firstborn son. Now this is intense. This is coming. This is not a maybe. This is coming. This is how the Jewish nation, we, we say all Israel shall be saved. Romans 11, 25, 26 says the fullness of the Gentiles shall get born again and then all Israel shall be saved. But we don't really have the picture of how it's going to happen. That's how it's going to happen. Jesus is going to return. He's going to come to Jerusalem. And one day I'll go through the details of how that happens. But when they see him, they're going to get a Holy, a Holy Spirit encounter of, of grace and a plea for mercy. That's going to hit them with power. And they will move into this place of mourning and grieving as they realize Jesus is their Messiah, whom they've crucified, not just crucified, ostracized, not just ostracized, but Forever, since the first century, they've said he's accursed. He's a false prophet. He says they're going to mourn like someone mourns and grieves for a firstborn son. Okay? Now I'll tell you something um, personal um, about my family. And by the way, I just love, I, I love your baby girl. The fact that she's here and making noise is better than her not being here. So I love that. 
So we're just going to enjoy her songs as I'm preaching. She can amen me anytime she wants. All right, so here's a personal story. So I'm the youngest of three brothers, and uh, my older two brothers are five and six years older than me, and then there's a gap, because they're one year apart, and then there's a gap, and then there's me. And um, so in my family, there was a major tragedy before I was born. My oldest brother, who was seven years older than me, when he was four years old, he found his way out to a pool in the, in the backyard and went and he got a bucket. He was, he was going to get a bucket of water out of the pool, and he's a little guy, he's four, reaches down, gets the bucket, it pulls him in, he can't swim. He's in the bottom of the pool. He's dead in eight minutes. And my, my mom and I, we talked about this just recently, and she was, my mom's 85 years old, and uh, she's crying, talking to me about it a month and a half ago, a month ago. And it took me a long time because I, I was born into a family with this tragedy hanging over them that I didn't know anything about. It took me a long time to realize, gosh, some of the stuff in my family, it's like not normal stuff. If some of y'all realize that some of the stuff in your family isn't the normal. I was 40 years old till I recognized it. And there's dynamics when a family is in mourning and in grief like that that impact you in a whole different ways, ways you wouldn't even expect. And, uh, and I would just say this, when that passage says they will mourn, the whole nation will mourn like somebody mourns for the loss of a firstborn son, I understand what they're talking about a little bit. I wasn't there. I didn't experience the morning, but I experienced the dark cloud that hung over my family and even in some ways still does till today. And it's intense. You know, I can remember coming home from school and I didn't know it was my brother's birthday and my mom's in the floor looking at old pictures just tore up. And my mom is a very jovial, happy, fun fun lady, life of the party kind of lady. And I walk in, and I remember coming home from school, and she is completely in, like, mourning and travailing in the floor, screaming, crying. And I'm like, Mom, I don't understand what's happening. I remember being a young guy, six, seven years old. What's going on? And she couldn't even tell me. She was, I mean, that broken. And I remember Christmas, and I remember different holidays, and it just being a bomb hit in our household. And so I understand mourning in a very um, tactile way. Does that make sense? That style of mourning is going to hit the entire nation of Israel all at once. And it's going to be a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be a shame mourning or a fear mourning or a pain, you know, in the sense of tragedy. It is going to be a revelation 
with the blinders falling off completely and them realizing for the very first time that false prophet that we crucified, who we thought was accursed, is actually the, the one God raised up to save us, Jesus. It's going to be powerful. It's a power encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so they're all going to come. And that, that morning and that travail is going to lead them right into salvation. Right? You remember when you've sinned and you've felt convicted. You remember that feeling. You might be feeling it right this moment. <laughs> you know what that feels like. They're going to feel that at a level one billion the entire nation all at the same time. And now get this. Isaiah said, can a nation be born in a day? Can a nation be born in the day? And, and the Lord answers, I don't bring to the time of birth and not bring forth. But at this moment, when Jesus has returned, every Christian will have been lifted off the planet and have returned with Jesus and only the people left will have been people that have never received the Lord. And all Israel is going to get the spirit of grace and supplication poured on them. And in one moment, in one day, all Israel will get born again. The whole thing will happen in one moment. Can a nation be born in a day? The answer is 100% yes. That's how it's going to go down. It's going to be fire. Joel 3 says he's going to cleanse the blood guilt out of Jerusalem by the spirit of fire and the spirit of burning. What does that mean? What's the blood guilt of Jerusalem? Anybody know what that might be? They called a curse on themselves after Jesus died. They said, let his blood be upon us. Yes. The blood of Jesus on them, not in a redemptive way, but in an accursed way, Joel 3 says he's going to release a spirit of fire that's going to cleanse that blood guilt. It's powerful. What's going to go down in Israel is going to be just exciting. I mean, just off the chart. All right. So when you have that in your mind and you know that that's coming, here's a key that we've got to get clear. And I, I shared this two weeks ago, but I want to emphasize it again. The point is this, these things that are in the scripture are to be prayed for and believed in by people in agreement with the plan of God, and that's how they come to pass. For instance, the gospel being preached to all nations doesn't happen just because it's in the Bible. It happens because we pray for God to send forth laborers into the harvest, and then laborers hear the, the call of the Lord. They get convicted, and they want to get sent into the harvest to share the gospel in every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, right? That's why we have global school where we send people to hard, some of the hardest and darkest parts of the earth. Well, the same thing is true with everything else you see. So if the Great Commission isn't going to be fulfilled unless there's people that are in agreement and there's prayers that go forth to see that thing happen, the same thing is true with this Zechariah 12 encounter. Are you guys tracking? Don't make me pause. 
So here's what God says, how he's going to bring it to pass. It's Isaiah 62, verse 6. He says, I have set watchmen on your walls. You know this passage. I set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace. Day or night, you who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. Do not give him any rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. And so God is going to, and is right now, bringing about intercessors who will not stop crying out night and day until he makes Jerusalem the praise of the earth. And that's, that language is code language for when Jesus returns and when all Israel gets saved. With me? And so this prayer movement of watchmen on the walls, they're not literally on walls. It is language that describes a praying people who cry out day and night until Israel gets saved, until that power encounter of Zechariah 12.10 happens. That's, that's the point of that. Did you guys catch that's an important point? The watchmen on the walls, they cry out night and day until the Zechariah 12.10 encounter happens. And so to say it another way, night and day worship and prayer and that intercession and even the fast that we're in, one of the things we're praying for is for Zechariah 12.10 to come to pass. Are y'all with me? Good. So here's the thing that when I stare at that, I go, all right, so it's night and day prayer until Jerusalem becomes a praise. It's for this power encounter that's going to hit Israel after the Lord returns. These are the things you have us praying for. How, this is the big, big million-dollar question, how do the watchmen get that much zeal? Because night and day until Jesus comes back, that's a lot. And I, I know a little bit about this because we've been leading a night and day prayer meeting for 17 years, and it takes a lot to make that happen. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of zeal, a lot of vision. It takes a lot of money. And, and so when I look at that passage, I go, okay, God, I see what you're doing. You're setting watchmen on the wall. That's your plan. But how do the watchmen get the unction? How do they get the fire on the inside of them to stay with it and not just blow it off after a while when it's hard. And so here's what I want you to see. So look at this in your, in your, on your device or in your, in your Bible, Isaiah 62. I, I want you to lay your eyes on this. It's important. Isaiah 62 Again, this is the same chapter now where he says, I have set watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They'll never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. Give the Lord no rest until he establishes and he makes Jerusalem the praise in the earth. So verse 1, I want you to feel this. The Lord speaking through the prophet. He says, for Zion's sake, that's Israel, for Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. God is saying, I will not shut up 
and I will not rest. That, that's a big deal. When you see God saying, there's something so important to me that I am not going to stop and I won't be quiet about it, we better, our antenna better go up immediately. I know we've got all the things that we're interested in, but we really better get our interests in tune with his interests. Because we can get really myopic and really self-focused, and our Christianity can really be about like a, how do I get better, what can God do for me plan? And it's really not about that. It's about the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance. It's about the unfolding plan of the gospel, and it's ultimately about God you know, enacting his will and seeing Jesus enthroned over the nations. It's not mostly about me, 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 me. That's American Christianity. I remember when I first started reading Ephesians 1, it's this awesome prayer for the spirit of revelation. And it says, you know, uh, that I, you would know him, the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. It's all about him. But I can remember praying, God, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you that I may know the hope of my calling, the riches of the glory of my inheritance, and exceeding greatness of your power towards me who believes. And the reason why is because I didn't understand that Jesus still had components of his calling that are not yet fulfilled. He's returning. That's a part of his calling. He's going to be the king of the nations. That's a part of his calling. It says the law will go forth from Zion. He's going to teach all the nations his ways. He's going to rule and reign on the earth in time with real people coming and worshiping him in Jerusalem. That's really coming. And so there's a massive component of his calling that is not yet fulfilled. We're in the middle of the plan. And so when I see this, he goes, for Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. I look at that and I go, okay, God, I want to get my heart aligned with your will and not you know, selfishly focused on my will. Amen. But here's the point I want to draw out from the scripture now. I already read you Isaiah 62, 6 and 7, but I don't know if you've made the connection yet. Because the question on the table is, how do they get the zeal to not stop? How do they get the zeal? Now, The Lord says about himself, I'm zealous for Zion with great zeal. That's what he says. Cooking cooking utensils or oh water ball, water ball. Got it. Flying up a little bacon in the back. You never know. (laughs) I literally just saw somebody eating in that same moment. Did you cook that up in the back? Okay. That was so timely. Okay, I go cooking up bacon in the back, and they go, perfect. So how do they get the zeal? God won't keep silent. God won't 
hold his peace, God won't rest. God won't rest. God won't shut up. God won't rest. He's got to get now people who won't shut up and won't rest. Where do they get the zeal? Look at verse 6 again. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest. New International Version, you who call on the Lord, give yourself no rest and give him no rest. Where are they getting that zeal that God could boldly tell them, don't be quiet and don't rest? They're getting it from him who is not going to be quiet and who will not rest. The zeal that's in God's heart, he's putting it in the intercessors. That's how it works. That's the only way night and day prayer works. It's not because we tried harder, we just really got in there, and we just, ah. It's not about that. It's not about our own strength. It's not about our own zeal, our own power. It's not about any of that. It's about the zeal of God possessing people, and then they cry out with the very thing that's important to God. They live their life in intercession in that same way. And that's what we need to tap into. That's the energy that we have to have, the anointing, the grace. Call it whatever you want to call it. It's the impartation we have to step into, that level of anointing that we don't stop and we don't shut up. You can't make me back down and you can't make me shut my mouth. Because let me just tell you something, okay? This is super cool right now. There's a fast 100 million believers are going to gather on May 28th to to pray for the salvation of Israel. Uh, Over a million believers right now across the earth are fasting in some way and praying for Israel. It's super cool when everybody is doing it. Let me tell you one thing that's going to be not cool when the whole world hates Jews. And I'm not saying like, Oh, maybe that's going to happen. No, it's really, really clear. Revelation chapter 12 is super clear that at the end of the age, Satan is going to be so enraged, he is going to go after the nation of Israel to try to destroy her. And the reason why is, A, he hates anybody that's made in the image and likeness of God. But reason two is he wants to stop Jesus from fulfilling his calling. And Jesus is going to be enthroned as king in Jerusalem. He's going to reign on the earth a thousand years. The nation of Israel is called as a kingdom of priests to steward that prayer meeting with the glory of God hitting the planet. That's all what's in the future. Satan knows that. But if he can destroy Israel, he can thwart the plan of God. So here's the thing. In half a minute, anti-Semitism, it will be the biggest issue on the planet when it comes to social inequality, racial inequality, it will be the biggest challenge in the whole planet. We've done a lot of work. I need y'all to hear this. We've done a lot of work on American racism, and we're going to continue to do a lot of work on that. I just, I just love looking at you people in this room because you are so beautiful because I can't tell what where you're from. I mean, you're white, brown, black, something in between. You are caramel mochilada chaka. I mean, you're all the things. You're all of it. And uh, it's beautiful. 
It's beautiful. And so we've done a lot of work to break the back of racism in America. In American racism, there's systemic issues. There's all sorts of issues. But hear me, hear me, hear me. American racism is kindergarten compared to what's coming on the planet against Jews. Satan himself is, Revelation 12 is really clear. You can read on your own. He is going to raise up an entire global anti-Semitic movement to try to exterminate all the Jews once again. When you think about Nazi Germany and you see Adolf Hitler, what you have there is a man who's operating in an antichrist spirit, but he is a baby. He is a minor league kindergartner. Why? Because he did no signs, wonders, and miracles. When Antichrist comes on the planet, he will have a false prophet, and he will do all sorts of manner of signs, wonders, and miracles, and the nations will be deceived and follow him, and number one on his agenda will be destroying the nation of Israel. So it's really cool to be an intercessor for Israel right now. We're all fasting and praying, and fasting is tough, and it's fun, but we're doing it together, and ah, big Pentecost prayer meeting, yay! And one half a second, it's going to be really, really uncool. What is going to sustain intercessors at that time? The only way this works is if the intercessors get possessed with the spirit that's in God, the spirit of God that has God saying, I'm not going to shut up and I won't stop. The only way for us to stand, even through the hardest times, to stand with Israel when it's the most unpopular is if we get filled with that same spirit. Am I making sense yet? And so this is where I want us to catch. When you see this idea, Zechariah 12.10, when you see the idea that the, the Lord is going to pour out the spirit of grace and supplication on the nation of Israel, when you see that idea, and then you see the idea that the zeal that's in God is going to be in the intercessors. You see that second idea, right? Because he says, I'm not going to stop and I'm not going to stay uh, silent. You don't stop. You don't stay silent. You see the connect? We, we're there? Then here's a point now I want you to make in connection. That he can pour the spirit of grace and supplication on anyone he wants at any time he wants. Because he's God and, and the Holy Spirit is God. And he, the Holy Spirit can manifest and minister any way he wants, anywhere he wants. Does that make sense? And so... The only way that the intercessors get that zeal is they get that same spirit of grace and supplication poured on them. In other words, the Gentiles are going to get a spirit of grace and supplication so that they get into travail and intercession unto birthing Israel into a spirit of grace and supplication so that they end up in their complete salvation. Now, let me show you something. Romans 9. I want you to lay your eyes on this one. I didn't, I don't, I don't want to live in the shallow end of the pool, guys. 
We need to get this stuff clear right now to set a trajectory for our lives. I don't want to just teach you and preach to you messages that just make you feel happy and blessed, quote unquote. I want to give you the word and get some grit and some guts in you, some strength, some might on the inside of you. So look at Paul in Romans 9. Look at this. He says, I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. He goes, I have great sorrow and continual grief. That sounds like he's operating in a spirit of grace and supplication. And it's being poured out on him in mourning because he's watching. Now, can you imagine? Paul, first century, he's, he was a Pharisee. Now he's an apostle. He's got encounters with the risen Jesus. And in real time, he's watching the entire nation of Israel go apostate. And this guy knows the Bible. And it's starting to click for him. And now he's also had heavenly encounters where he's actually gone into the third heavens and heard inexpressible words which are unlawful for men to even explain. He's got revelation far beyond even what he's written in the Bible. And he's looking at this whole thing and he realizes, oh my gosh. They are about to reject the one who came to save them fully. And he's got more understanding of it than anybody in all the scripture. And he goes, Gentiles, because that's who he's talking to in the, in, in the church at Rome. Because Gentile guys, guess what? They got broken off so you could get grafted in. Don't get arrogant about that. He goes, but... If them being broken off brought salvation to you, Gentile guys, how much more when they come back in will that bring blessing to you? He goes, it will be like life from the dead across the planet. And that's when we get into the, in the age to come and we get these verses like the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth like water covers the sea. That's going to be because Israel is in their calling, stewarding the glory of God from Jerusalem, and it covers the planet. I know that's a big story, but I might as well give you all the stories. But here's my point. Paul's continual grief and sorrow, hear me, it was an intercessory burden. This is not just emotion. This is not just, oh, man, this sucks. All the Jews are, oh, they hate Jesus. Oh, I feel bad. That's not what this is. This is an apostle in his ministry gripped with a spirit of travail, crying out for Israel. That's what he's doing. He would say, uh, he would say to the church of Galatians, he would say, my little children whom I labor in travail again until Christ is formed in you. And he's talking about the Galatians who had kind of gotten swept up in some 
bad doctrine. He goes, I am in travail. I'm laboring like a woman that goes into labor and has a baby. I'm laboring like that for you in prayer. So intense. It's the same thing he's talking about in Romans 9 too. Great sorrow and continual grief. Well, it dawned on me, great sorrow, continual grief. It sounds a lot like this passage in Joel chapter 2. And I know I'm hitting a lot of Bible passages, but put your eyes on this one. Just go ahead and get there, Joel 2. It's five taps away. Bible, Joel, chapter 2. Hit verse 12, boom. You're there. Now, therefore says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. When we read that passage, a lot of times we just kind of blow through it. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. We kind of leave out the weeping and mourning. <laughs> I go, Joel 2, I want to go to Joel 2 lifestyle. Great. Fasting, weeping, and mourning. This is legit Christianity. I, I like to call it full contact Christianity, where we're not just believing in a system of belief. We're not just keeping a sort of standard of rules or walking by some sort of you know, behavior modification plan. We're actually engaging with the heart of God and getting into what he cares about and letting him manifest in us and through us. Turn to me with fasting and weeping and mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God for he's gracious, he's merciful, he's slow to anger of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. And so here's the point I want to make. What was on the Apostle Paul, what's going to come on the nation of Israel, I believe is how the watchmen on the wall get, they get that zeal to never stop crying out. See, she cried out right as I was talking about crying out. She's already got it. Fuego. Say it again. What was on the Apostle Paul? What's going to be poured out on the... She's just blowing up in here. Boom! She's feeling it. The anointing's in the air. You must become just like a child to enter the kingdom. She's feeling the anointing. Just try to do this again. See if she goes and groans again. Groan, baby. What was on the Apostle Paul? Great sorrow. Continual grief. Do you feel that? It's like on the back of my neck. That is going to be poured on, that same spirit is what is going to be poured on the nation of Israel. Spirit of grace and supplication. But hear me clearly, it's the only way the watchmen don't stop and don't keep silent. It's how the zeal that's in the heart of God gets into the heart of the watchmen. Is that clear? And so, there's something I want to teach you about intercession. I think, I think prayer, we, we've done a, sometimes in the church we've done a funny job with prayer um, because we've made prayer like fold your hands and close your eyes and look down and wait till the guy's done praying. 
It's like almost like check out until this guy's done saying a prayer and then say amen. And that, it's just not how it goes. Prayer is you and God engaged together. The things that are in his heart, you're, you're engaging with them and you're praying them yourself. You're asking him to do on the earth the things that are in his heart. You're, you're touching his heart and pouring that out. I mean, when you read the book of Jeremiah, you will see a man who is possessed with the emotions of God. It is wild to read Jeremiah. His head, he goes, oh, my head is waters. Because he's, he's weeping for the slain of the daughter of Israel. And so when we pray, I, I, this isn't, listen, prayer isn't a personality type. Thank you. Prayer is not a personality type. And, and lifting your voice is a biblical command. There's 20 verses alone in the book of Psalms that says, sing to the Lord. It doesn't mean if you made it through the uh, audition, then you sing to the Lord. It's literally, man, we just make a joyful noise. We just, Lord, I lift your name on high, yeah. You know, you just go for it. If you, you can sound like me, or you can sound really bad. I mean, it just, you know, it doesn't... It's all good. You know what I'm saying? But it's a command to sing. Some of us, we've got a little edge, and when the, when the guy on the platform, like me, goes, hey, let's all lift our voice, you go, not me. Can't make me, man. I'm an eight. Can't control me. And... It's not, it's not that you're an eight, and it's not that you don't sing good. It's that you're rebellious. Because you're actually thwarting the unity of the Spirit. Now, there may be a moment, like, you're in another moment, and you're just, like, wrecked and whatever, and you can't, like, even, like you can't even get it out. That's cool. Do you? That's what I'm talking about. I, I'm talking about, like, oh, I'm def- I don't ever sing when the guy tells me to sing. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. Like, no, bro. Just stop. Sing. We got Bible verses. You don't need me to tell you. Bible verses tell you. And when we do it together in the unity of the Spirit, we're in another mode. I mean, something happens in corporate connection with the Holy Spirit and with one another. And, man, we become like this vortex for the presence of God to move. So when it's time to sing, we all sing. But here's the other one. When it's time to cry out, We all cry out. It's not a personality type. It's not a personality type. I've been blown away by some of the quiet people, and then all of a sudden they like the cork pops and they're like, ah! You're like, whoa! And it like it like cuts a demon in half, like live. Like, what was that? My wife. She is, a, she is a meek and quiet spirit, and she doesn't talk loud. But when she goes into travail, it, you just duck because it's just creepy, scary, fiery. It's not a personality type. It's not a, I'm a well, I'm really an internal processor, so I'm, I'm, I'm crying out in here. It, it's, it's, 
It's not it. There's so many Bible verses that say cry out. A lot of times the word you'll uh, see is call on the Lord. But that word call, it's a, it's a Hebrew word, Q-A-R-A. I don't speak Hebrew, but it sounds like kara, which makes it sound like you got a phlegm issue. But kara, kara, kara. Jeremiah 33.3 3 says, call to me and I will answer you. That's kara. It literally means cry out. One definition of it is cry out as if you're trying to get someone's attention. And it's not that we're trying to get God's attention. His eye is on the righteous. But you're crying out with that same urgency, that fervency. You're not kicking it into neutral. You're not thinking someone else will cry out. No one can shout your shout. And no one can sing your song. And no one can pray your prayer. No one. Only you. And if you kick it into neutral every single time and you leave it up to someone else, what about your portion? What about you? Call to me. Cry out to me. I will answer you. Call to me. I will answer you. I'll show you great and mighty things that you do not know, stuff you've never seen. Galatians 4, which I quoted earlier, Paul said, I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Jeremiah says, cry out. Paul says, I'm in travail. But look at what Hebrews 5, 7 says. I want you to see this one. Tap it up. Tap in. We're closing right now. I know, I know. Hebrews 5, verse 7. Bible app, Bible, chapter, no, book, chapter, verse. Five times. Right? Ah. Ah. Some of you got the tap phone. Flip phones are becoming huge in Gen Z. Did you know that? Read an article about y'all today. Not in this room. That's cool. All right, we're going to get into this. I got to get y'all back into the the zone. Remember, cry out. That's Jeremiah. Paul, I labor and travail again until Christ is formed. Here's Hebrews talking about Jesus. Listen. Who in the days of his flesh, when he offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his godly fear. This is how Jesus prayed, y'all. Cries and vehement tears. Vehement cries and tears. There's about four verses that identify that Jesus went away from the multitudes and spent a long time in prayer or either spent all night in prayer. And there's oftentimes when he would, he would retreat from the crowd so he could go spend time with God. Now, I'm not saying all he did was scream the whole time. 
There's silence. There's be still and know that I am God. There's contemplative, meditate on the word. Those are Bible verses. But there's also the cry out, which that's the one that, that I think we're a little bit weird about sometimes because we will cry out almost in any place. We'll go to a concert and cry out. We'll, we'll go to a ball game and cry out. And, and it's like it's just got to be at the right peak hype moment in church for someone to cry out. You have the one loud person, usually they cry out early, but then everybody else is like, I want to wait till it's peaking here. And, and listen, there just needs to be an engagement with Holy Spirit where we just uncork and we just let it go and we let it rip. And you know what? There's a, there's a time we do it because we want to engage, but then there's also the spirit of grace and supplication that comes on you with mourning and tears and wailing, and travailing, and groaning, and there's a power and a breakthrough anointing on that kind of prayer. But watch, you cannot be passive and enter into that. You have to have an active approach and say, God, me, now, I want it, here I am. And I would just say this, there's something that God wants to release on a young generation of the spirit of grace and supplication so that you do not stop, you do not rest, that you don't get tired and you don't burn out and you don't get dissuaded and you don't get distracted, but you enter into a spirit of prayer that's so deep and powerful that you begin to lift your voice and you begin to let out a cry and that cry begins to birth things in the spirit spirit and things begin to shift in the atmosphere angels and demons begin to move because you have cried out by the power of the holy spirit don't worry it's good and this is what god wants to bring us into we love this term gatekeepers it's about opening the gates it's about getting into the atmosphere and pushing back darkness and getting a real spirit of prayer on us, not just the, when I feel it, I'm going to do it, but it's the, I'm going to agree with the heart of God and I'm going to enter into a soul wrestle. I'm going to wrestle in my soul until something breaks. I love Jacob when the, when the angel shows up to Jacob and he goes, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And you got to get that kind of an attack inside of you because that passive sit back, if God wants to give it to me, then it'll happen. That's just not who enters in. The, the violent take it by force. There is an aggression that you have to step into. And let me tell you something. You will not have the kind of energy that you have in your body. You won't have this again. I'm 50, and I'm telling you, it goes away. You have something right now, a gift from God in zeal and energy and focus and time that you will never have at another time in your life. This is a moment for you. I want you to stand with me right now. Jesus, in his time on the earth, with loud cries and vehement tears, he entrusted himself through loud cries and vehement tears 
a breakthrough. Release a breakthrough. There's a point that you get to where you just don't care what another person thinks. You don't care what's cool, what matters is what God is into and what God is after. And I'm telling you, we need a zeal. We need a possession, a holy possession from heaven to break the fear and the apathy off of us that we would step into something real, something raw. Come on. Holy Spirit right now, I am asking you to fill this room with light and power, with vision and glory. I am asking you, God, for something greater than human ability. I am asking you, God, for something more than just what man can muster. I'm asking you for something more than an emotional moment. Holy Spirit! I'm asking you to pour out on us the spirit of grace and supplication. How? Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl. We'll see you in the next episode.